Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Kevin Wilson is the author of Now Is Not the Time to Panic, a novel. He is also the author of two collections, Tunneling to the Center of the Earth, which received an Alex Award from the American Library Association, 
and the Shirley Jackson Award, and Baby, You're Gonna Be Mine. Also, three novels, The Family Fang, Perfect Little World, and Nothing to See Here, which was a New York Times bestseller and a Read with Jenna book club selection. His fiction has appeared in Plowshares, Southern Review, One Story, A Public Space, and Elsewhere, and has appeared in Best American Short Stories 2020 and 2021, as well as the Penn O'Henry Prize Stories 2012. He has received fellowships from the McDowell Colony, Yaddo, and the KHN Center for the Arts. He lives in Siwanee, Tennessee, with his wife, the poet Lee Ann Couch, and his sons, Griff and Patch, where he is an associate professor in the English department at Siwanee, the University of the South. By the way, in the New York Times Sunday edition of October 29th and 30th, there is a whole feature on him in the New York Times book review, so you might want to go back and check that out if you want to learn more. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss. Now is not the time to panic. Thanks for having me. This is like, I showed this book to my husband. He started laughing because I'm like always panicking about something. And he's like, could we put that like on a sign for you somewhere? <laughs> like this should be, you know, all, all over the place. So thank you for that. Oh yeah. No, I want to get it tattooed on, I think on my arm just to remind myself. Yeah. Well, this book is amazing. It's really, I'm sure you'll hear this and have heard this already like uh, many, many times, but it's so good. And I'm such a fan. The characters are so real. The whole thing, the backstory, the family, the the whole thing. I mean, those funny triplets, I mean, the whole thing is so good. And I don't know, I've just been recommending it right and left. So I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you. So why don't you tell listeners what it's about? And then you include this in the book of, you know, why, how this whole phrase came to be. I was going to try to chant it for you, but I can't. So, and tell, tell that whole amazing story. Sure. So the book itself is about this woman. She's in her late thirties, Frankie Budge, and she's got a kid. She's got a husband. She's got a great life, you know? And then this uh, reporter calls her out of the blue and wants to talk about this event in her hometown that happened when she was 16 in the summer of 1996, this strange mass pan, you know, kind of pandemonium. And the reporter has figured out that Frankie is at least one of the people responsible. So, you know, she's got this really nicely set up life and it's about to kind of get complicated and it forces her to go back in time to think about that one summer when she met this new boy in town, Zeke, and they made this weird piece of art. And, you know, I'm I'm 44 and I have kids and you get to a certain point in your life where you've got yourself where you want to be. And then you start looking back, right? Like you want to trace the line of how did I get from that person to this person? And that's what kind of Frankie has to reckon with in, in this book and maybe even track down <laughs> some people she's lost touch with. But the book itself, you know, there's a line that that Frankie writes that's repeated throughout that kind of creates the pandemonium. And it's it's called it goes. The edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives and the law is skinny with hunger for us. And it's a strange line, but it comes from my own life. I, I had a friend in college. We met. We spent a summer living together in an apartment. He was an actor. He was leaving after the summer to go to L.A., Eric, and he gave me that line. He just wrote it down kind of out of nowhere. And being an impressionable 19-year-old, it just burned into my brain. And I've never gotten rid of it, you know, and I've always tried to figure out, what do you do with this thing someone gives you? Like, it's personal, it's meaningful, but how does it go out into the world? And, and so I 
you know, I wrote this book. I wrote it in a lot of ways just just to use that line. And you mentioned in the letter that Eric passed away, and I'm so sorry about that, and that you struggled with what to do if you should continue and how to keep writing through all of the craziness of life, even when he wasn't there. So tell me, did that make you want to do it more? And tell me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, that summer was intense. Eric and I, like, and we lived with uh, my cousin as well. And it was just the three of us. We made little short films. Eric was the first person that made me think like art was something that like you could do, you know, it was actually something that a normal person could make, you know, and that inspired me. And we'd stayed in touch, you know, we would, we would talk off and on, but, but he was in LA and I was in Tennessee and we just kind of lost touch. And I knew I was going to write this book. And in my head, I was like, I'll write this book and and it will bring Eric back into my orbit. We'll be friends again. You know, I'll return us to that summer. And I was, all, you know, halfway through the book and I, and I found out Eric had, had suddenly died. You know, I heard from my cousin and I thought, well, I can't write the book. You know, what's the point? Because it's not going to bring him back. And And my wife, and my agent, who I think are the two people who know me the best, you know, they said, you know, it's fiction. You're writing a novel and it's not you and Eric. It's it's Frankie and Zeke. And I don't know how I'd forgotten that, but it clicked into place. I was like, this is this is the story that I can write outside of myself so that it connects with other people. And in some ways, I thought, OK, well, if it can't bring Eric back into my orbit, it can bring Eric uh, to the larger world. Right. Like I can open this line up and give it to everybody in this story. And I found my way, I think, somehow to the end of, of the book uh, because of that. Wow. So what did your cousin think of the book? <laughs> he, has, he hasn't read it yet. And I know he's excited to. I think he's just waiting. And it, it actually comes out, I think it's like a day before Eric's birthday, you know? Oh. Uh, so I know he's ready. And when it comes out, he'll sit down with it and read it. But yeah, it's, I, I mean you sometimes wonder about the limitations of art, like what can it do? But I do know that in the making of art, you know, it can get you through those moments that maybe you couldn't have otherwise. So whatever happens with the book, you know, no one can take away the generation of it, of how it got me through that moment. I mean, I feel like there's a a parallel with Frankie when she cuts her finger open, right? That's such that line all the way down and how Zeke only has this time. They were doing like a blood Thing for their, I'm not even explaining this one. The, pay, the the work of art they were producing, he wanted a little bit of blood, and so she uses an exacto knife. And next thing you know, it's like gushing, and she needs stitches, which she doesn't get. And it's like, you know, but I think that that is that is also part of the process, right? It can be that painful, and you can like, you know, hemorrhage essentially, and then it just has to close up, and then you end up with like, you know, your book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's 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 excellent. Yeah, once you open the vein, you you don't know what's going to happen after that. And then there's there, no matter what, if you open yourself up, there'll be a scar that reminds you, right? Good or bad, you have that reminder forever. Yeah. Well, I love how you developed each character, not just Frankie and Zeke, but even the mom character. And, you know, I mentioned the brothers, but just, just like all these different supporting roles as if it's a movie, right? The the supporting yeah. characters and the night when the mom stays up all night long and like is so worried that 
Frankie's about to start having sex and she's like, oh my gosh, like I can't sleep. I'm going to be up all night. It's just just so funny. Like, where do you come, where do you come up? Does it just come when you're writing? Like, like how did, how do you craft all your characters so well? Oh yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. I'm, I've been happy to hear that people really like this mom because a lot of my books in the past, mom, parents are awful. You know, I always write about (laughs) terrible parents and for this book, I just thought, you know what? This is, I am going to make a parent who is a good parent, you know? And part of it is I'm always so focused on the main characters. And sometimes I, I try to remind myself, like, there are other people that can help them through these moments, you know? And and so the mom was that for me. And so I tried to think, what would it be like to be a single mom raising these three feral triplets and this, like, weird, quiet girl And you want to help them, but how do you do that? And so sometimes, you know, you help them by worrying in ways that you're just saying, I want to be and I am going to talk to you and I am going to be a part of your life, whether it's awkward or not. And so I kind of fell in love with this mom for her refusal to just step into the background. You know, she said, I don't know what's going on with you. You are weird. We are different. (laughs) But here, take these things and, and we'll figure out a way through it. And how did you get your start writing anyway? Did you always know this is what you wanted to do? No, God, no. You know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in this tiny town in Tennessee. I was so isolated. It was really rural. And books were just my window into the world. You know, it made uh, the world less scary, you know. And each time I read a book, it would open up that circle just a little bit wider so I could imagine myself like beyond that place. I mean, strangely, I live in the same town where I grew up, in the same county where I grew up, but I went away. You know, I did stuff. I did had experiences, but I just always loved reading. And then after a while, when you when you love something so much, you think, well, what what could I do to be a part of that? Like, how could I make it? And I loved movies, too. And I loved all these other forms of art. But when you grow up in the middle of nowhere with no money, it's not like I could get a camera. It's not like I could convince people. So I thought, what's the thing I can do by myself? you know, alone. And it was write stories. And, and each time I wrote a story, I felt my, again, I was writing myself towards a future, you know, so each story was fictional, but it was also helping me figure out like, this is how you're going to get where you want to go. You know, so what books did for me, writing did for me as well. So did you have other odd jobs along the way? (laughs) No, I've never, like, I love that when writers are like, they were like, I'm terrible at everything except writing, but I just always <laughs> knew like I needed two things. I needed money and health insurance. And so I, I always work. I, I wouldn't say job. becoming a writer is the sure path to either. <laughs> you know, of those things. I know. So I knew I was like, how are you going to get this? And I just took secretarial jobs always. You know, I worked in the gender studies program at Harvard. I was a secretary as a secretary for a writer's conference And I love those jobs. I mean, sometimes they're awful, but for the most part, like the great thing about secretarial work is the people in charge don't really know how long it takes to do anything. (laughs) You know, like they, they're sometimes it's awful because they're like, I need a 500 page report in in eight hours. But most of the time they're like, make these copies. And I would be like, oh, that's a four hour job. (laughs) They would have no idea. And I would just go write or read. I get my work done always, but it was those kinds of jobs where you're just at a desk. People kind of forget that you're around. uh, And I just always snuck my way into those jobs so that I could keep doing what I wanted to do. 
So you're basically the world's worst employee. Yeah, but no one ever knew. It was a great secret. As long as you can keep that secret, as long as no one else knows you're the worst employee, uh, you're fine. You're golden. So you think that if you're the worst employee, but but your boss never finds out, then you're not a bad employee? You're, as long as you get the work done. Okay. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I remember it. once though, I was in the library reading and someone that I worked with, like an administrator who was above me, saw me and said, working hard. And I was, I didn't really click. I said, oh no, hardly working. And then I realized I was like, that's, she has power over me. I should probably not have been so flippant and be and reading a book when I was supposed to be working, but I still Maybe it was just the Southern accent. I, I, I got away with a lot. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like then to go from writing story after story and then becoming a New York Times bestselling author? It's just, it's pure luck and magic, you know, like, and that stuff's all great, but you can't, right? Like you can't, you don't finish a novel and you're like, ah, a New York Times bestselling <laughs> book, you know, like you'd be insane. Like I'm yelling up to my wife that I've finished. <laughs> so like for me, it was always the pleasure of writing. And that's what, that's what matters to me because the minute the book touches the open air, you can't control it. I mean, you can certainly like, I'm with a great press. I have a great publicist, a great editor, and those people can position the book. And, and I feel really lucky. And a lot of the success is due to them but it's still just luck, you know? So I just feel like I got really lucky and it worked out, but even if it hadn't, you know, I I got the pleasure that I wanted out of writing it. And a lot of times for me, of course, obviously I'd love to be successful. I want people to read my books, but really all I want is to do well enough that I can publish another book, you know, that somebody wants the next thing that I make. And I feel like that's, that's the sweet spot that I want to, that I want to live in. To never worry that the next thing will disappear. And what about health insurance? I got, well, I teach full time. So I figured <laughs> an end around. But sometimes my wife is like, you know, maybe we could figure out a way that we, we could write full time. And I was like, oh, no, I'm too nervous. You know, <laughs> I, I need a lot of things in place that keep me settled so that I can focus on the making of things. I like that. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So tell me, what do you teach? I teach creative writing at a small university on a mountain in Tennessee. It's called the University of the South. There's like 1,700 students. Tennessee Williams left his estate to the university, which is why I'm there. And I teach creative writing. I teach literature. And so, you know, three or four times a week, I'm in this classroom with 15 students who are all like really lovely and wonderful and smart and engaged. And I don't know. I mean, I'm really grateful to be on this podcast, but like it's hard sometimes to find people that care about books, you know, like you want to talk about this amazing book you've read and it's hard to find those people sometimes And so teaching for me is like, oh, I get to be with these 15 people who are eager to read. We'll talk about books. And so, yeah, it's a gift. It it feels it is work. But in those great moments when you're just with these kids and you're talking about this incredible piece of art, it, it doesn't feel like work at all. Well, if you ever need to talk about books with anybody, you just call me up. <laughs> I'm very, I, I'm glad to know that. Duly noted. I'm always talking about books <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, have you read anything personally great or do you work on anything with your class that's like a hallmark book for you that is a great example of like what we should all aspire to or teach us some oh, man. lesson? Yeah. So, I mean, like. I try to vary it and I try to teach super new books a lot. You know, I'll try to bring a book that's a couple of years old just to keep it fresh, but also because I want them to know here's what's out in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And so we just finished uh, this book by Brian Washington, a story collection called Lot, and they all loved it. But the book that I almost always teach, no matter what the class, is Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad, Mm -hmm. which I just love so much. And, And it's fun for them because it's It's nonlinear. It's a link collection of stories. One of the stories is in the form of a PowerPoint. So there's all this kind of weird stuff that they're like, what's going on here? But at the heart of it, it's just kind of a beautiful book about the acceptance of the passage of time, like what happens to us? How do we get from point A to point B? How do we reinvent ourselves so we don't slip under the surface? You know, Mm -hmm. how do we see those moments where it feels like everything is ending? And you know, we say, no, it's not ending yet. There's still time for me to do the thing that I want to do. And these kids are so young. And sometimes I'm like, is this going to land? I'm 44. And so I'm always like, ah, yes, the cruel passage of time. But even when you're 19 and 20 and you're on the precipice of the life that you're about to have, there's still that worry. Like, how fast are things moving? Will I get what I want? And this is a book, I think, that teaches you like life, time will never stop. But there are moments when you can slow it down, right, and and get the thing that you need. So I just love teaching it. I probably taught it like thirty times. Wow, how does how do you apply that to parenting? <laughs> Everything goes out the window with your own kids, right? <laughs> like you have a plan in place, but there's moments with those texts too, like where I'm just trying to think about like the passage of time, and like you can hold on to it. But you have to let it move forward, right? And so my kids now are 14 and 10. And I can still remember so clearly when they were three years old. And there's something lovely about that weirdness where I'm like, sometimes the my children are unrecognizable to me. You know, I'm like, oh, you are not the kid that you were when you were four. And sometimes it's really sad. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is hard. But I think what starts to happen with kids is you hold on to all the different versions of them that you can hold them all in your heart, even as they move eventually beyond you, right, to become their own person. 
And so for me, maybe it's the the novelist in me, but I love being like, well, here's the story of you at this time. And here's the story of you at this time. And I can connect that line even as they get further and further away from me. So I guess maybe it's just I'm learning to hold on to the pieces that I can and let go of the things that I have to let go of. That is really great advice. <laughs> it's not say. easy to do, though. No, I, I know, but I'm going to aspire to that. That's true. <laughs> I know. And, and and the whole thing is made all the crazier by the fact that they don't even remember all the things that you remember about them. And so, yeah, they're so, and Griff, like my Griff and Patch, they're so tired of me being like, when you were three, they were like, shut up about when I was three. Like, I don't remember it. I have no memory of it. Yeah. 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 I have 15 year old twins. And then I also have a nine and a seven year old. And so I feel like I get a, I have had a do over with the little guys, you know, I'm like, yeah. all right, I see how this goes. Now I'm like, you want to sleep in my bed? Come on in. You know, like, <laughs> I think, and also like what I love about, you know, having a second and having more than one kid is that you think, ah, this is what children are. I've had one. And then there's these kind of beautiful moments where like the second one or the third one, they're different in these kind of incredible ways that like allow you to do different things. You know, the things that my oldest son didn't care about, all of a sudden I'm learning all these new things with my second kid. And it's just like, oh, okay, it's fresh. It's different. You think that you're just going to do the same things over and over, but they're so unique that you're just adapting each time. Yeah. The more kids I have, the more I realize I have like almost nothing to do with how they turn out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, my have... goal is just not to mess them up too much. But... I was so full of myself as when I yeah. first had kids, I was like, oh, you know, I, everything that's bad about me, they'll get everything yeah. that's good. And then I was like, oh, they're unrecognizable. They are. Yeah. Their own <laughs> yeah. Where did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> How did we end up here in the kitchen? So what are you working on now? Oh, man, I'm trying to figure my way to a new book. And so it's weird, but just the way that I tend to write is I go back to old books and I'm like, oh, I have to keep writing. So I'm going to steal something that was very small. So there's a moment in this book where Frankie has written, she's a YA writer, but she's written this book for adults, you know, that's about this woman who goes to pick up all of her half siblings who have the same name as her. Her father has just had multiple families and he's dying and she's picking them up. And in the book that I've written, I was like, it was a terrible book. Like it was not a critical success. It didn't sell any copies. And for whatever reason, the way my brain works, I was like, Oh, what a good idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so this new book is about a woman who meets this uh, guy who shows up at her farm and says, hey, I'm your half brother. We have the same dad. And what they find out is every 10 years, their father has left the family he's made and started a new one. And he has all these children that he leaves. And so they're mad and they want to track him down. And they're just driving cross country, picking up all of their half siblings for the first time meeting them so that they can go have this reckoning with it with their dad. I love that. I read a book. Now I'm blanking on what it was. There are these four half siblings and somebody does drive around and picks up four of them <laughs> all over town. You know, it takes place in, I want to say in London or I have, to, no, no, it's not. It's somewhere in Africa. I'm going to find you. I'm going to figure out the book. Yeah. I got to get this. It starts, so I can figure out if I'm copying. It's not the same. It's you're not copying, <laughs> but it's, it's, there are only like five of them, mm -hmm. right? Five siblings. But yeah. Then, Right in the beginning, they go and pick them all up. 
Okay, my brain will catch up with me at some point. But I'll, I'll, if I find it, I'll send it your way. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to add it to the to-read list. Yeah, <laughs> add it to the to-read list. I thought you were going to say you were going to write the bad, not critically acclaimed YA <laughs> book. Yeah, no, no. I, I, that, that's not in me just yet. I, I would love to be able to. That would be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you should commission that. It says, like, yes. you, could, you could pair it almost like a gift set. It I would, like that. It would be funny. Anyway. Maybe not. Maybe to me. <laughs> what do you do when you're not writing and teaching? Like, what it's do you just do? me and the kids. We live on a mountain in Tennessee, so my wife and I and our kids we're kind of a world unto ourselves. You know, we live. We have a pond in our backyard, a little treehouse, some woods, and so so much of our life is just the four of us, always on top of each other. So the times that I'm not writing or not teaching, a lot of times what we're trying to do is just expand our circle a little. So we're constantly doing just little road trips, three, four, five hours away to explore these cities, you know? So we're going to Louisville, we're going to Atlanta, we're going to Little Rock, you know? And and then in the summers, you know, we just got back from London and Ireland, like when you live in a small place, everyone's like, oh, it's so tiny. What do you do? And I'm like, oh, we have great fun. You know, we swim every day in the pond. We do this stuff. But then it gives you the excuse to say, like, it would be nice to see a museum. It would be nice to eat in a restaurant. And that forces us out into the larger world. So mostly what we do is is travel and explore. That's exciting. Yeah. I have not been to a lot of this. I've been to Atlanta, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are like, you spent the whole weekend in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> twice, you know, enough of it. That's awesome. Okay. So what is your best piece of advice for your students your, or that we can share with aspiring authors? So, I mean, I think it's, it's, I don't think this is just writing. I think it's just life advice, but a lot of times what I tell my students is, and you know, I think also they've, they're, they've, done well. You know, they've excelled in high school. They're they're overachievers. And I just want to tell them that, like, I mean, the pleasure of art is making it, but you are going to fail. And you just have to accept that, you know, that there is a period of time where the things that you make don't match up to how you had envisioned them, or people's response is not what you had hoped, or you don't have the success, or you get rejections. And a lot of times what I try to tell them is, like, that's just a natural part of of the process. And so what really matters is what you do in the aftermath of that, which is just refusing to quit, you know, and that a lot of times the way that you succeed is that you just don't stop, mm-hmm. you know, that you send out a story and it gets rejected and you're like, ah, well, nevertheless, that's it. And you quit. <laughs> and it's the students. Sometimes my students that I see making it are not the ones who were naturally like the best writer. They're the ones that were like, I love this enough that I don't care if it's not good. I like looking at it. I like thinking about it and I'm going to keep doing it. And almost always those are the students that that make it. And and so that's what I was like too. You know, I just said I'm going to like obviously I have no very few other skills. I'm just not going to quit. You know, I'm going to outlast everyone else and make the best of it. And I won't mind because I get pleasure from making it. And a lot of times it is just who sticks around. Did you ever see, this is, I'm 46, so I'm hoping maybe this will not be the most ridiculous reference. There was a movie called Wildcats with Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> well, anyway, she like she runs around the track so many times that she beats like every guy on the football team and like yes. slaps them all. I feel like that's what this is where she's the coach of the football yes. team, right? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> she's the coach of the football team, and they she has like no respect from the team, and so she challenges them to a run, and it's like pouring rain, and she's the only one still standing, and she's like, see. Anyway, I feel like that's your approach. That's, yeah, that's right. Writing is a lifelong a pursuit, yeah. right? It's a lifelong pursuit. So as long as you do it for as long as you possibly can, you'll get somewhere further than where you started. I love it. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Oh, <laughs> man, it was the best. Okay. Sorry for uh, starting it out with what you thought was Halloween music and really okay. New York City traffic. But, you know, thank you for your time. And I'll make sure never to hire you for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, please don't. But it was so lovely to talk. You too. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.